You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. Mark chapter 14, verses 26 through 42. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you that this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, I, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, set here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and he said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. At the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, one of the main characters, Samwise Ganji, uh, wakes up from a deep sleep and wondering uh, if the enemy has finally been defeated and if all of their hard work has finally paid off uh, he looks to his friend, Gandalf, and he asks the question, is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? Now, I've quoted that line before to you, uh, but I think it's worth repeating. Uh, and just a heads up, I'll probably repeat it many times again in the future. Uh, because this idea of everything sad becoming untrue is a near-perfect summary of the gospel. And it makes sense uh, that it would come from a writer like J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, who is a, a devout Catholic. Uh, there's a treasure trove of Christian imagery and allegory throughout his writings. Uh, but as you think about the Bible's story, most of it takes place between two gardens. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, sin and sadness 
were first permitted into the world as Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruits. And today, we're going to look at the second garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, in order to see Jesus begin reversing the curse of that first garden and starting that process of making everything sad come untrue. But in order for that to happen, Jesus must first face the greatest temptation he has ever gone up against. Even greater than how he was tempted in the wilderness at the start of his ministry. Just as Adam was tempted by the serpent in the Garden of Eden, so too is Jesus about to be tested by the enemy in the Garden of Gethsemane. With the temptation to avoid the cup of God's wrath that Jesus must drink if he goes to the cross. And as we see our Savior wrestle through this trial, there are three lessons that you can learn from his struggles. So let us look at each of these as we work our way through this passage. Uh, Lesson number one, you see in the opening verses of our text, and it's that you cannot succumb to temptation without first leaving your Savior's side. You cannot succumb to temptation without first leaving your Savior's side. Uh, After the Passover meal was complete, uh, Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the place where Jesus had so recently been teaching his disciples about the temple's upcoming destruction and about his eventual, eventual second coming. And here, Jesus quotes uh, from Zechariah 13, saying, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Uh, None of Jesus' disciples, except for the apostle John, are going to stick with Jesus through his trial uh, after he is arrested. Uh, Fearing for their own lives, they are all going to be scattered and they're going to hide. We're even told about uh, later in this chapter about a young man, uh, traditionally thought to be John Mark, who is the writer of this very gospel. We're told that even he fled as well. Uh, Verses 51 and, and 52, which we'll talk about more next week, but it says that he was wearing nothing but a linen garment and was following Jesus. And when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. So we see that even John Mark would rather run away into the night, but naked, Uh, then have to go back for his clothes and risk being seized and arrested with Christ. Nobody wants to be beside Jesus in this moment. And by this point in Jesus's ministry, he has predicted his death numerous times to his disciples. They all knew that this day would eventually arrive, uh, but now that it is here, They would rather save their own skins rather than be associated with their Lord. 
And this will be particularly true of Peter, despite his claims to the contrary. Uh, Verse 29, Peter says, Even though they all fall away, I will not. But Jesus responds to him saying, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now we'll talk more about Peter's betrayal next week. But you see here that the same lips which can be used to worship Jesus can also be used to deny him as well. I mean, what was Peter doing right before Jesus was arrested? Back in verse 26, we see him singing a hymn. He was worshiping the Lord. But then by verse 66, what is he doing? Just a short while later, but still on the very same night, he's denying that he ever knew Jesus. The same lips which he used to worship God will then be used to deny him instead. Jesus said in verse 27 that when the shepherd is struck, all of the sheep will soon scatter And as they flee from their Savior's side, it won't take them long to fall victim to sin. And the same is true for you and I. What is true for Peter is true for you and I. Uh, Just think for just a moment about uh, the example of a married couple. How many spouses uh, cheat on their significant other while they're in the same room? Not that it's impossible, not that it's never happened, uh, but if your husband or wife is standing in front of you, it's a lot less likely that you're going to start flirting with someone else. In the wake of marital uh, infidelity, there's usually a long list of telltale signs that it was going to happen. Even if you didn't see it coming, usually in hindsight, you could see that it should have been obvious. Uh, The couple wasn't communicating as much as they once did. The intimacy wasn't there. Uh, They weren't spending as much time together. They were emotionally and spiritually estranged from one another. Uh, It's rare that a strong and healthy relationship leads to a wife or a husband having an affair. Most often, it's just the opposite you'll discover that at least one of them had been drifting away from the other. And in that isolation, in that loneliness, that's where they will betray their marital vows. And the same is true for your relationship with Christ. When you are continually on your knees praying to him and regularly hearing from him in his word, you'll find it much less likely that you're going to succumb to temptation. I mean, when you can use that kind of language that you would typically reserve for describing your spouse, if if you can describe your relationship with Jesus as personal, uh, as intimate, you are less likely to be unfaithful to the God you so love. There's a reason that most spouses don't cheat on one another when they're on their honeymoon. 
I mean, on a honeymoon, the couple is very passionately committed to one another. And when your relationship with Christ has that same kind of passion and that commitment of a newlywed, you're not likely to find yourself cheating on him. It's only when your relationship with the Lord becomes cold and distant and when you've left his side that you're more likely to fall victim to sin. So lesson one, uh, you can't succumb to temptation without first leaving your Savior's side. Uh, Lesson number two is is this. Uh, You cannot overcome temptation without first being willing to suffer. Uh, If you flee your Savior's side, you're likely to succumb to temptation. Uh, But if you want to overcome temptation, you need to do more than just be within close proximity to Jesus. Uh, You must be willing to suffer. Verse 32, uh, Jesus leads his disciples from the Mount of Olives to a garden called Gethsemane. And he tells them to sit while he goes and prays with Peter and James and John. And while in the garden with these three men, we're told uh, that Jesus becomes greatly distressed and troubled. So much so that he says that his soul is very sorrowful, even to death. So Jesus leaves even his closest disciples and he walks ahead even further to pray by himself. Uh, And though it was a typical custom for Jewish men to raise their hands and head up towards heaven as they pray, uh, we're told here that Jesus fell flat on his face uh, and his face was to the ground. And in distress, he prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. And it's this moment, perhaps better than in any other moment in the Gospels, uh, that you see the humanity of Jesus come out. Uh, We often talk about Jesus's divinity, uh, the reality that he was fully God, uh, which is true, but simultaneously he was also fully man. And like most men, Jesus didn't want to die. He didn't have some kind of martyrdom complex uh, that made him look forward to the cross. Uh, So he prays that if it is all possible, that he might avoid such a terrible fate. Uh, And this is the greatest temptation that Jesus ever faced. Uh, This desire to avoid the pain uh, and the suffering that he'll experience if he goes forward with this crucifixion. Uh, And that separation that he is going to feel on the cross when God the Father will be forced to turn his back on Jesus as he who knew no sin will become sin for us. I mean, once Jesus commits himself to finish this mission that he came to the earth to accomplish, uh, then that actual trial that he's going to face before the Sanhedrin, um, that's just going to be a mere formality. Uh, It will be nothing compared to this trial that he is facing in the garden. 
as he prays and he pleads with the Father uh, for there to be another way and for this hour to pass. Uh, But though the disciples fled and abandoned their commitment to their Savior, we see here that the good shepherd that is Jesus will not be guilty of doing the same. Though the disciples and you and I have all failed to remain faithful to Christ, he still chose to remain faithful to us. Again, verse 27 says that the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter. Uh, When you hear that statement, uh, we should lament that we as sheep are so easily scattered, but you should also marvel at the willingness for the shepherd to be struck in the first place, even all the while knowing his sheep would desert him in the process. This is a reminder of what was uttered all the way back in that first garden. Uh, After Adam and Eve fell into temptation, uh, the, the the serpent convinced them to eat that forbidden fruit. Uh, We're told in Genesis 3.15 that the Lord said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I love the way the NIV translates that. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. On the cross, uh, the serpent will strike the heel of Jesus as he is killed. But three days later, Jesus' resurrection will not only offer a counter-strike to the serpent, it will crush his very head. So despite the disciples succumbing to temptation and fleeing from their Savior's side— Jesus will overcome this temptation in order that he might crush the head of Satan once and for all. And even as he resigns himself to this fate, as he prays in the garden, uh, he is already beginning to be poured out for you and I. Luke tells us that his sweat became like drops of blood. Uh, We spoke last week about the Jewish Passover uh, and how during the Exodus, the Israelites were uh, commanded to cover their doorposts in the blood of a sacrificed lamb in order to be saved from God's wrath uh, that would sweep across the land. Well, the blood of the sacrificial lamb that is Jesus is already starting to trickle out even in the garden. It is already preparing itself to cover your soul and mine and to save us from God's holy wrath. And understanding this reality that that overcoming temptation uh, is going to involve a willingness to suffer like we see Jesus suffering here, that might not sound particularly um, exciting at first, might not sound particularly uh, comforting, especially seeing Jesus suffer to the point of sweating blood. 
But even though Christianity doesn't offer you a means by which you can avoid suffering, it does offer you a God who is willing to suffer by your side. Even though Christianity doesn't offer you a means by which you can avoid suffering, it does offer you a God who is willing to suffer by your side. Jesus persevered while in the Garden of Gethsemane. But overcoming that temptation he faced uh, caused him a great deal of distress, uh, trouble, sorrow, even to death. Uh, And if God didn't spare his own son from wrestling and suffering through this trial, uh, then don't expect it to be any different for the trials that you face. I mean, choosing the path of faithful obedience will often be the more difficult path to follow. Sin will often feel like the easy way out, while doing what is right will often seem infinitely more difficult in comparison. Uh, Living an honest, God-honoring life may actually cause more trials and more temptations to come your way as the enemy tries to convince you to live a life contrary to Christian convictions. Uh, So Christianity doesn't offer you a means by which you can avoid suffering. Uh, And if that's what you're looking for, then Christianity is not the religion for you, but... Christianity does offer you a God who is willing to suffer by your side. Christianity does offer you a God that won't put you through any trials that he didn't already face himself. Because whatever temptation you may be facing, whether it's a personal struggle, a struggle in your marriage, or something else entirely, nothing compares to the agony that Jesus faced in this garden. So even though Christianity doesn't promise to remove the trials or the temptations from your life, it offers you a Savior who has been where you're at and who knows what you are going through and who is willing to walk with you through to the other side. So lesson number one, uh, you cannot succumb to temptation uh, without first leaving your Savior's side. Lesson number two, uh, you cannot overcome temptation without first being willing to suffer. Lastly, there's a third lesson to learn as well. Prayer alone will determine the difference between persevering or perishing. Prayer alone will determine the difference between persevering or perishing. When you face any temptation, uh, there are only two outcomes. Uh, You'll either succumb to the temptation or you'll overcome it. You'll either persevere through the trial or you'll perish in the process. Uh, And the only difference between those two outcomes between success or failure, between succeeding or retreating, the only difference between the two is prayer. 
Prayer alone will determine the difference between persevering or perishing. Uh, As you scan through these last verses of this passage, uh, you see that every time Jesus came back to check on his disciples, they're asleep. As Jesus persists in prayer, uh, his followers are passed out. They're already failing in their commitments to keep watch. And in doing so, they're about to let their Savior be betrayed into enemy hands. And in the midst of this, Jesus even warns them that the spirit is often willing, but the flesh is weak. So even while the disciples may have had good intentions, even though they probably didn't mean to fall asleep, Even though their spirits were willing, the reality of their human nature is that flesh is simply weak. So Jesus kept finding them asleep. And what makes the difference between pressing your spirit to overcome your weakness and giving into that weakness is simply prayer. While Peter is about to spend the night denying Christ on three different occasions, Jesus has already spent the evening praying to the Father on behalf of Peter and the other disciples on three different occasions. And you may wonder why Jesus feels the need to pray so much in this garden. I mean, why does he keep going back and forth to pray to the Father again and again three different times. Uh, Why not just get it all out of his system, just get it all off his chest at once, and just be done with it? Well, again, this is where you see the humanity of Jesus on display. While in the garden, he doesn't just go to the Father in prayer. He wrestles with the Father in prayer. Jesus' prayers here are like a three-round match in a wrestling ring. I mean, you can just hear his struggles in verse 36 when he cries out, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. I mean, you just hear again Jesus pleading with the Father not to let him be crucified on that cross tomorrow. Yet, that's not where Jesus' prayers end. Because he continues on to say, Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus wrestled with God in prayer, but he wrestled until the will of God won out. He wrestled with God in prayer, but he wrestled until the will of God won out. And that shows you that praying thy will, not my will be done, is the one prayer that God will never refuse to answer. If you can pray, thy will, not my will be done, that is the one prayer that can never go wrong. It is always the right prayer to pray. So so if you feel that you're always praying to God, but your, your prayers are never being answered, maybe you should just pause to reflect 
upon whose will you are praying to be accomplished. Because if you're praying for your own kingdom to come or your own will to be done, then maybe that's the reason why God seems so distant and silent. But if you can commit yourself to wrestle through your prayers uh, until you are able to echo these words of Jesus and actually mean them, that's when you'll begin to see God stir and move in your life. That's when the Lord will help you begin to overcome your sin rather than just succumbing to the temptation every time the enemy comes your way. But again, it's not simply enough to just pray these words of Jesus. You must mean them, which is a lot easier uh, said than done. Even Jesus wrestled through the night praying until he was able to say these words. And even then, these words caused him to sweat literal drops of blood. So many times you might walk away from prayer looking like you have just walked out of the wrestling ring. You might even look a little bruised or sweaty like Jesus. But if you can pray those words, yet not what I will, but what you will, it will mean the difference between persevering and perishing. Those words will make the difference between succumbing or overcoming the temptations you face. So you cannot succumb to temptation without first leaving your Savior's side. Uh, You cannot overcome temptation without first being willing to suffer. And prayer alone will decide the difference between the two, between persevering or perishing. If you can learn to pray like Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, you'll begin to understand how his prayers here are key to undoing all that took place in the Garden of Eden. You'll begin to see how Christ is working to make everything sad come untrue. And you might even just begin to see how he could even use you to help him in this process as well. So let me pray. Father, we are thankful for your unwavering perseverance. Uh, If we were in that garden that night with you, uh, we surely would have been asleep by the disciples rather than praying by your side. So thank you for pressing on, uh, even when we would have fallen away and failed. Uh, May we just look to your triumph uh, over temptation as a model for overcoming our own sin as well. Grant us strength like yours uh, to allow us to persevere through trials and temptations. And may we Uh, Just remember that dependently praying to you and trusting uh, in your strength will be the key to our success or failure. I just ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.